story a man told his friend. He said, my great-great-grandfather had to walk to work because he was too poor to own a car. My great-grandfather was the first to own a car. He was so proud. He bought a very modest Chrysler, and he drove to work. My grandfather, he took a next step up. He had a, he had a Peugeot 404. You remember those cars that the, the base used to lift up, the, the suspension used to lift up? My dad had a V-dubs combi. Me, I got an SUV. Like my son, he drives a Ferrari. Not you, Liam, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, let's speak into that. One day you will, you'll drive a Ferrari. But my son's son will be walking to work again. And the guy said, his friend said to him, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. You know, your son's driving a Ferrari. How can he be walking to work? And he said this. He said, it's human nature. When times are hard, we strive to achieve good things. We strive for growth. We, we want to do better for ourselves. We want to do better for our families and do better for our communities. But when we enter into times of easy living and prosperity, we become lazy we become apathetic. We start to think that we deserve what we get. We start to say, I deserve this. And, and we get greedy. And we become cold to others. And in that moment, we suddenly find, because we've not strived to grow, we fall back into hardship again. If you had a look at a graph of 2022 in terms of poverty versus prosperity, we will be on the downhill run. And I'm talking about Western world countries, obviously. There's many poor countries in the world, but I'm talking about Western world countries. And if you notice that my glasses are broken, they are. Um, I thought I'd make an issue of it just so that you didn't think that looked strange. They're broken. I didn't have time to fix them. I'm sorry, but I need them. So... Yeah, just laugh now and then we'll be, all, we'll be good. <laughs> Get over it with it. We have become comfort creatures. What we thought was going to be easy, the downhill run, turns out to be extremely hard. There is a pushback. Do you know, in 2014 to 2017, mental illness or mental health doubled. We don't have the figures in 2022, but we know that it's probably doubled since 2017. Suicide rates are through the roof. Depression is through the roof. We have confusion over gender these days. We have abortion laws that just want to make you cry. And we say that we're doing easy living. But something is terribly wrong with when we live easily. What about the church? Has the church been affected spiritually in times of prosperity? Well, Pastor Paul sent something through uh, to our prayer uh, chain just recently, and I know he was blown away about it. I'm blown away, and I'm just going to use this because I think it'll just give you an idea of where the church is today. 
It's talking about the percentage of Christian pastors that hold a, a, a biblical worldview. Right? If you want to know what a biblical worldview is, it's defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist. That such truths are defined in the Bible. And it's based on firm belief in six specific religious views. Those views were that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Do you agree with that? Amen. That God is all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe. Do you agree with that? And that he still rules today. Do you agree with that? That salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Do you agree with that? That Satan is real. That a Christian has responsibility to share the faith in Christ with other people. Do you believe in that? And that the Bible is accurate in all its teachings. Do you agree with that? Amen. You know, these findings that I'm going to share with you now are from uh, a man called George Barner. It's from the George Barner Research Group. He's a renowned and very respected Christian researcher. You can trust what he is saying here. This is what it comes down to. The percentage of Christian pastors that possess a biblical worldview, the things we've just read, across Western world countries, all Christian pastors, 37%. You can say wow loud if you want. It's going to get worse. Senior leader pastors, 41%. Associate assistant pastors, 28%. Believe in a biblical worldview. This is one that wrecked me. Teaching pastors, 13%. Children and youth pastors, 12%. Believe in a biblical worldview. And executive pastors, 4%. I can tell you right now that you should be getting up out of your seats and going to your pastor or your pastor's your, your, your kids' ministry pastor, and you should be hugging them. Because in this church, we have a 100% world, biblical worldview. And I know that many of you wouldn't be here if it didn't, if it wasn't that way. I certainly wouldn't be. But I'm thankful for our pastors. I'm thankful that we speak the truth, even though sometimes it's hard from this pulpit. In Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, look, in the end days, people are not going to be interested in, in sound doctrine, in absolute truths. In fact, they're not, it's not that they're not going to be interested. They're going to be aggressive towards it. So what has the church done? Because the church in Western world is definitely declining. You've got to know that. At the moment, it's declining. In, in Europe, it's declining. In America, it's declining. What has the church done? They see the people leaving because they're following a worldview, not a biblical worldview. So what they've done is they've gone, okay, well, let's take a little bit of the worldview and we'll add it to the biblical worldview and we'll see if that can draw them back. It does not work. You cannot add yeast to unleavened bread. If you start adding yeast, it will mix through the whole flour and it changes the whole nature. That's why God said, I want leavened bread, unleavened bread, not leavened bread. At the end of this, this reading, the Apostle Paul is talking about in end days what will happen. And right at the end he says that they will have a form of godliness but lack power. 
That's what you do when you add worldviews and world culture into the church. The church is supposed to direct the rest of the world. It's not supposed to be directed by the world. It's no wonder why then when we see a decline in Christianity throughout Western Europe, America, that while countries that suffer hardship and persecution are the fastest growing churches in the world. China has persecution. It is the fastest growing nation. So I'm not saying let's get back into hardship. Let's get back and just, just suffer. Let's just get persecuted because that's going to be good, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, church, in prosperity, we need to find a way of turning it around. The church has to find a way of turning it around. I want to say something. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure who's just walked in. It, you may have just come in here and never heard about Christ before, and, or maybe you're a new believer. I want to say something to you now. This sounds very doom and gloom, but this is just a bump. The reason why it's a bump is because the Word of God tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. The Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ has already been resurrected and the victory is already done. It is over. It's finished. What we're experiencing now is a kickback from the devil and worldview, but we can overcome it. Here's the question. Is this generation the generation that's going to turn it around? I didn't hear you. Is this the generation that's going to turn it around? I want to ask you, church, is this the church that's going to turn Red Bank Plains around? Amen. You know, in the business world, they say, if you want to be successful, find a problem, create a solution, and then sell it or give it, offer it as a service. You know, when we look at the church, the church, we know what the problem is. We know that the church is in crisis mode. But we don't have to find a solution. God gave us the solution many, many, many years ago, right from Jesus Christ. He gave us the solution, and He said it's called discipleship. Discipleship is the solution to turning the church around. And I want to speak about that a little bit this morning. And I want to give us three keys what it means to be a true disciple, and how to get on that journey. If you'll turn with me, please, to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, in your Bibles, on your smartphones. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is the Great Commission. Jesus spoke this after He was resurrected and just before He left the disciples, because it, it was obviously a few things that He said. This was one of the most important things that He said. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, the authority was given to Adam and Eve. Do you know that? All authority in, on the earth was given to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve gave it to the devil, and Jesus took it back from the devil. Jesus now has all authority. And when he says, All authority is given to me, therefore he says, Go. You have to go, and you go with authority. The authority that Jesus gives you, you can go with. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This first key I want to give you is this, and I know that you would have heard this before. It's been preached about a lot, but sometimes we need to get back to foundations. The first thing that a disciple does, a disciple goes. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. If you're wondering what the word discipleship means, whenever you add the word ship, now I want you to think about what I'm saying now, okay? When you add the word ship to any word, you know, you get the words like mateship, discipleship. You add the word ship to a word, it makes the word float. The only person who got that was my wife. It becomes sea tight. No, it doesn't. Are you awake? It doesn't make it float. What the word ship means is it means state of. In other words, discipleship is the state of being a disciple. It's the state of making disciples. And the word disciple simply means to be like Jesus. Kids' ministry is discipleship. Prayer is discipleship. Worship is discipleship. Preaching and teaching is discipleship. Why? Because if discipleship is following Jesus and following his example, what did Jesus do? He prayed. He taught kids. He worshipped. He taught people all over the place. He healed people. It's all discipleship. Let me tell you what discipleship is not. Discipleship is not a program. It's not a course. You can't go on a course, you can't go on the foundations course and then go, tick, I'm a disciple. I, I, I'm sorry to say this, but this is sometimes how we think because we've lost it. We've lost the meaning of what it's supposed to be. Discipleship is a lifestyle. Discipleship is a journey from the moment that you meet Christ to the time you meet Him again. It's a journey of growing to be more like Him. It's found in church, and it's found in your work. It's found in your family. You're a disciple, and you're discipling people wherever you are. That's what it means to go. Mother Teresa, um, she was like a breakthrough person in the Catholic Church because she was doing things that they weren't used to. She was not conforming to the way the Catholic Church operated. And she was busy building cities for the, for the, the poor and, and, and the one day she has this dream of, I'm going to go and do this. And she's talking to her, her associate Christian um, pastor or Catholic pastor. And he says, hang on, let's stop. Shouldn't we pray to see if this is what we should do? And she said, no, we will pray as we go. We have to be a going people. Put simply, discipleship is not head knowledge. It's the knowledge that is applied in our lives. You know, very often, and I've heard myself say this, I've heard people like, you know, when Pastor Paul preaches or Ransford preaches or we get a guest speaker, I hear people say, oh, that was a powerful message. That was so good. What a great message that was today. Let me ask you, powerful for what? 
powerful for what? Great for what? Because most of us will get into the car and up the road we've forgotten the message. It's powerless unless you apply it into your life. That's what a disciple means. What's the point of coming here every single week and listening to a message that you never apply? You take the message and you ask God, how can I apply this into my life? As you drive, as you work, how can I apply this message? If it was so powerful and so great, you should be able to do something with it. Let it change you. That's the point of it all. When you go to church or you go to your Bible or you go to your prayer closet, you are being, you're going as a disciple. But if that is the extent of your going, you are missing a vital point, part of becoming like Jesus. Because Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. So discipleship is two-pronged. It's both you becoming like Jesus and it's helping others to become more like Jesus. In South Africa, they have a, a race. It's called the Comrades Marathon. It's a running race. Uh, Katie will know about it. It's, it's about 90 k's long. It's an endurance race. Most people do it in around about 10 to 12 hours. It's a long, long, long race. And it's uphill and it's downhill. It's, it's treacherous running. And what they have, because it's so long and takes so long, they have what they call seconds. And these seconds are strategically placed along the road, like at the 10K mark, at the 30K. It's friends of people that are running. And the whole idea of a second is to have nutrition and to have water and to have, most importantly, the encouragement that they need. Because when you're running a race like that, you just want to give up. You're like, you're after 10Ks and you think, I've still got 80 to go. I'm dead. I can't give up. These seconds are there. Come on, come on. You can do it. Just get to John who's at the next stage. And they give you some nutrition. That's what discipleship is. You're a second. You're not supposed to run the race with people. You're supposed to be there to feed them the nutrition that they need, to give them when they're thirsty, and to encourage them on the walk. But a lot of us are not even encouraged about our walk, and then we walk out the door, and and that's it. It's gone. We need to be a church that's discipling each other. Someone once said, when we see crowds, we want to keep them. We say, oh, look at these big crowds. The church is full. How can we keep these people? But when Jesus saw crowds, he got skeptical. Because Jesus looked at the crowds and he said, why are these people here? He said, he told the big crowd, he said, you're only here because I fed you at the 1,000, the 5,000 feeding. And that's the only reason why you're here. He doesn't want people to be fake about the reasons why they follow Jesus Christ. He'd rather take 100 people and disciple them properly than 10,000 people that are not interested in the word of God. You're only here because you saw miracles and healings and signs and wonders, but you're not here because of the kingdom of God. Discipleship is the only way of causing a people of God to be devoted to the things of God, obedient to His teachings, and constantly going. You know, church, we could see a thousand people come into this church. We could have the widest open hearts that a church could ever have. 
But unless we disciple, we will have the widest back door that the church has ever had. They'll come in and they'll come out. Discipleship makes people stick. Discipleship is the part between the front door and the back door. Discipleship is, is where people are suddenly fall in love with Christ. And this is the place that they want to be. Because they're becoming more like Christ. We have to be going and on a journey of discipleship. Point number two. Disciples imitate Christ. The Apostle Paul said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Philippians 3, 1, 17 says, Join one another in following my example, brothers, and carefully observe those who walk according to the pattern we have set for you. Philippians 4, 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 2 Thessalonians 3.9, not, not that we lack the right, but we wanted to offer ourselves as an example for you to imitate. Another way of saying it is pattern yourself after Christ or follow His example. What are you patterning your life on? Because whatever you feed yourself, you will eventually become. If you eat McDonald's every single day, you're going to become a hamburger. A hamburger. A hamburger. <laughs> you will become a hamburger. McDonald's hamburgers are not really great. Sorry if you love hamburgers at McDonald's. If you imitate worldly ideas and trends, you will become what you imitate. Whatever you fill your life with is what you're going to become. You see, you may attend church every single, every single week, but what conversation is coming out of your mouth? Because whatever, you, whatever you're imitating is what's, gonna, what's, what's inside of you. So you might come to church every week out of duty or whatever the reason, but whenever you speak, you're speaking about the world. You're speaking about riches. You're speaking about sports. You're speaking about a whole bunch of things. But if you're a disciple and you're imitating Christ, what are you going to be talking about? You're going to be talking about the goodness of God. You're going to be talking about um, you know, how God has changed your life. You're going to be sharing testimonies. You're going to be speaking as if you have, have really got Christ. That's what discipleship does. The Word of God says, I think somebody said it before, I think maybe Ransford. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then what does it say after that? It says, once your, your, your mind is renewed, then you will know the will of God. If you are conformed to the world, you will never know the will of God. You can, only be, you can only know the will of God when your mind is transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, I believe that every believer, everyone here should get to the point in their life where they say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Someone once told me, they said, I think Apostle Paul is so arrogant. And I said, why? And he said, well, he's telling people to follow him, to imitate him. And I didn't say anything I wish I did say at the time. But I went to him and I thought, this guy's wrong. What he doesn't realize is that when Apostle Paul was here, they didn't have the New Testament to, to, to find out who Christ is. They didn't, have, they didn't know what grace was and all these different things. Or, and many of them had never even met Jesus. They'd just been told about the story. And so it was difficult for them to follow who Jesus was. So the Apostle Paul says, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. You can never be arrogant if you're under somebody. We need to get to that place where we can say, and look, you might think to yourself, well, you know, I keep on stuffing up. How can I ask people to follow me? Well, I've got some news for you. He, he called it, he's called the fishermen to be disciples. Were they disciples? Were they not sinners? Were they not broken people? Were they not tax collectors stealing money from people? He called those people and he said, you be my disciples. And afterwards, they made disciples. That's why we're all here today, because they made disciples. They went and they went and they, and they, they were going. You may stuff up. You may sin, but you have to get to a point, as, as Ransford was saying, you have to get to a point where you've repented and you know that when you repent, you are, you are, you're completely clean. And when, you are, when you've committed your life to Christ, that is when you say, okay, I, can, I may mess up, but I can disciple people. I can, I can show them the way. Do you know, I want to speak to the young people this morning. There are so many older people that have life experiences in this church that have spiritual insights that you're not gleaning from. Every single person should find somebody else and say, can you disciple me? And if they say no, go and speak to Pastor Paul. Everyone, it's a privilege to disciple. And it's a privilege to be discipled. They'll set some time. They'll meet with you weekly or whatever you can do, and you can share with them, and you can get discipled and grow. Here's the last key. Disciples count the cost. You know, when Jesus called the first 12 disciples, he didn't give them a PowerPoint, and, you know, PowerPoint demonstration, and he's like, you know, this, this is going to be great for you guys. You've just been my disciples. You know, you're going to have this and this and this. No. He just went up and said, follow me. And based on the authority of Christ and who he was, they just dropped everything and they followed him. There was a cost. They gave up their livelihoods. They put their fishing nets down. The way that they were going to eat, the families are going to eat, they put them all down and they just followed Jesus. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how they were going to be looked after. They just followed. There was a cost. But Jesus says this, he says, you cannot follow me unless you deny self and pick up your cross. The culture that we live in today has changed to what it was 20 years or 30 years ago. The moral landscape has changed. 
You know, I remember when I was a young guy, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian and many of my friends weren't Christians. But when we were asked a question, what religion were we? We were all like Christians. We were all Christians. I, I didn't know what it meant, but we were Christians. But the truth of the matter is, 30 years ago, the moral landscape was so different that people actually understood absolute truths, even though they weren't Christians, because, because the culture had been soaked in Christianity. It's no longer soaked in Christianity. The gospel, the gospel news was popular back then. It's not popular today. In fact, people are aggressive to the gospel message. And so as a disciple, you've got to count the cost. Are you going to risk being offended or are you going to risk offend people for their salvation? I kind of feel like we, we have treated the gospel message these days because of what's happened like a Netflix one-month subscription. You know, we tell people, you know, just give it a go, give it a go. And it's okay, I'll sign up. I'll sign up for the one month free trial, but it's just, it's better be free. There better be no cost to it. And then I'll do it for a month. And then after a month, we, we, you know, like nothing's changed. You say, oh, this, it's not working. I don't like it. I'm going to cancel my Jesus subscription. We have that mentality today that we have to change. We, 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 we need to be praying that people walk in and are, 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 are the Holy Spirit touches their heart and they fall and cry and repent because that's where sticking comes. You know, when I, was a, when I became a Christian, I knew something had changed completely. I knew that I had to find out more about it. I was in the library after, it's not, you know, like I didn't forget the message that one day I was there every single day looking in libraries trying to find out who this Jesus was. I knew something had changed in me. And many of you are the same, but we have to change this culture for our church, for our people. But there's always going to be a tension. There's a tension. There's a tightrope that we have to walk. Because when we preach, we preach the hard words. Jesus there are a whole bunch of people that came up to Jesus when they were at, the, at Judgment Day. And they said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? They basically were sitting there going, I thought we were saved. I thought, they told me, they told me if I just raise my hand, then I'm saved for life. And here I am, and you're telling me no. And Jesus said to them, not everyone that said to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in his, which is in heaven. Depart from me, for I did not know you. Do you know how you get to know God? You have to be a branch that is connected to the vine. You have to be joined to Christ. You have to surrender your life to Him. If you're a broken off branch, you're not connected to the branch, to the, the vine. You cannot sit there and on the side and say, I'm saved when you're not connected to Christ because He doesn't know you. There's a tension. Because I don't want to preach the hard words and then make people that, that are saved 
feel guilty and feel as if maybe they're not. I don't want to do that. But at the same time, if I don't preach through these words and tell you that, that God is saying that just raising your hand is not enough, that you have to be a disciple of Christ, I don't want to be the person that didn't tell you the truth to say that you need more than just raising your hand. You need to be a disciple. And there's a cost for you and there's a cost for me. Church, persecution in, in Western world countries is not on its way. It's already started. And it may be mild now, but it's going to increase. And you will not be able to stand in faith for Christ unless you are a true disciple of Christ. You will fall away. You have to become a true disciple of Christ. Following or imitating Jesus is going to take time. And sometimes it's going to be hard. It's kind of like, you know, when your friend is in a car and he says, you're in a car and he says, follow, follow me, I'll take you there. And you go, well, that's easy. You know, I can do that. I can just follow you where you go. But, but we forget that there's distractions that come along. Like just as you're driving up, he just gets through the orange light and it turns red for you. And then he can't stop for you because there's cars behind him and he disappears up the road and you're still at the stop street. And you thought, this, I thought this was going to be easy. And now what should I do? Should I just turn around because I can't find him? Should I just leave? It's going to be hard and there's going to be distractions. But I want to tell you what Jesus said in our scripture. And I want to finish with this. He said, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus will stop his car and wait for you to catch up. Just keep on going. Amen.